We began a, a series teaching about prayer and fasting. And uh, we've been looking at, basically, we've been looking at the whys, the whys of fasting. Why do we fast? Uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking at the hows and the whens as well, and maybe mention that slightly this week as well. But we'll be concentrating on the why again still. And we've got to week four, and uh, hopefully the board explains where we've got up to till now. And speaking about God's wisdom, God said he gives his wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And when we follow God's wisdom, we can expect perseverance in trials. We can expect joy even in trials, maturity, completeness, and lacking nothing. And that God's amazing wisdom comes not from the earth, but it comes from heaven. And there are two main ways that God's wisdom comes to us from heaven, and that is either from the Bible or Scripture, or the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Holy Spirit wrote the Scripture, but it either comes from Scripture or it comes directly from the Holy Spirit, maybe from within, if you're a believer, he lives within, and also from other people as well, the Holy Spirit talking through other people, especially, we know, through Jesus, as we studied Jairus last week. So... But there is a big problem, and the problem with receiving and following God's wisdom and seeing God do amazing things, including producing this amazing fruit, even in trials through us and in us, the problem is double-mindedness. And we experienced, or we looked at that with with Adam and Eve beginning, and then we also experienced our own double-mindedness as well. It's a huge problem, James says, from receiving anything from God. If someone's double-minded, they shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. So double-mindedness is a huge problem problem. And then we began to look at why we fast. And we found, looking at Adam and Eve's experience, that the main reason Adam and Eve fell into temptation and disobeyed God's wisdom was because Satan is so crafty, and he still is, and the lusts of their eyes, the lusts of their flesh, and the pride was so strong. Satan is cunning And our lusts are so strong that we become double-minded and we stop following God's wisdom too. And we learn that one of the things, one of the disciplines God has given us, Jesus told his disciples that they would do, is fasting. So the first thing why we fast is fasting helps us to be more sensitive to the wisdom of God, but also helps us to fight those lusts that we have, the desires that go against God's wisdom. So the first thing we'll say here, the first why is, I'm saying fight, fight flesh, but we could also have suppress sin equally. So we'll have fight flesh there. And the second why we looked at, and I need to remind myself as well, what was the second why we fast? Okay, where are we? Uh, presence. Oh, yes. It was. No, sorry. The second one. That's the third one. The second why was in his sermon, Jesus gave Christians three things that they would do and that their father would see them doing it. And what would the father do? Reward them. Okay. He would reward them. And the greatest reward that God could ever give anyone? More of himself. I am your great reward, he told. Uh, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. So we also fast because we 
reap the reward. Whatever God wants to reward us with, and the best reward is more of God. And Jesus said, didn't he? Those who obey me, I will reveal myself to them, make myself known to them. Okay? So another reason we, we fast is to reap the reward of fasting. All right? Now, the third reason we fast, which is what we learned from Jesus, and we'll see on the screen up here, uh, if, uh, if we can have the first scripture. You can turn if you want to, Matthew 6. We looked at Jesus talking about when his disciples were fast. He said, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put, on, put oil on your head and wash your face so that no one, it won't be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we learn from that, Jesus said that they're mourning, and your time will come for mourning. And we fast, Christians fast, because we mourn that Jesus is no longer with us, like he was. We'd love him to be physically here in front of us. Because we know that there is more, isn't there, from Jesus. Whatever we're experiencing right now, the kingdom is more. There's more of God to be had. There's more of his kingdom to come and his will to be done. We know that. We know from Scripture, we know from the, the example we read last week, of, or last time with Jairus, his daughter being raised from the dead. We know that there's more from God. So one of the reasons we fast is that we mourn, mourn the more. Okay, I, I think I've skipped one. Hang on, where are we? When you fast. Sorry. Is there one about prayer? Matthew 6. Uh, all right. Any fast? Da, 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 da. All right. Okay. Oh, we'll skip that bit. We'll skip that bit. So we'll mourn, mourn the more. That's another reason why we fast is we, because we, we mourn more of God. We miss Jesus being with us. If I'm a Christian, it's it's entirely okay for me to want to be with him in heaven. I miss being with him in heaven. I, some days I look forward, don't you, to being with him in heaven. And it's also entirely okay for me to miss him not being present here with me. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit, and he said it's better for us that we, he goes. But if I'm lovesick for being with him in heaven, can I be lovesick for him to be physically with me here? Yeah, we mourn the more of Jesus. So that's one of the reasons we, we, we fast, is because we mourn the more. All right, now, can you remember the gospel story that we were studying last time that led us to our subject of fasting? Can you remember this? I've mentioned it already. Jairus, yeah, Jairus. And who else was involved in that? There's Jesus, there was Jairus, and another lady. We don't know her name, do we? Yeah, she was bleeding. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, and she'd been to doctors and all sorts of things, and no one could help her. So let's fast forward to that. Oh, no. there's, there's my missing scripture. 
Okay, we'll, we'll cover that another time. All right. So, next one. There we go. Oh, no, skip that one as well. There we go. Oh, actually, yeah, go back, Jason. Thank you. Right. Last time, we read the story of Jairus and his daughter dying and Jesus raising her from the dead and healing the lady too. We read that from Luke. And I thought this time, we'll read it aloud together from Matthew. But then when I read it from Matthew, it began by saying, um, as Jesus said this, or as he was saying this, and I thought, what was Jesus saying then before he talked about, or we experienced the story of Jairus being healed, Jairus' daughter being healed. And do you know what it turns out to be? Jesus was talking about fasting. Jesus was talking about fasting, and then he happened upon Jairus. So let's read from that bit, shall we, when Jesus is talking about fasting. And then we'll read it all the way through and hear the story of Jairus' daughter and the woman who was bleeding too. So let's read aloud from Matthew 9, 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unstruck cloth on old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. True story? Yes, even though it was 2,000 years ago, that is a true story. Jesus did raise that little girl from the dead. And that woman who touched the cloak of Jesus did get healed from 12 years of her suffering. Okay. Now, last time we studied the story of Jairus and his daughter. And we looked at what worldly wisdom said. The account from Luke was a bit different, wasn't it? Because 
he, she hadn't died yet. He'd asked Jesus to come with him to heal his daughter. And then, before they got there, some of his servants came and told him, unfortunately, she's died. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And what did Jesus say? Jairus, just believe, yeah? Just believe and she will be healed. Now, worldly wisdom said it's impossible. It's hopeless now. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Not even God could do anything about this. That's worldly wisdom, isn't it? Whereas godly wisdom, which comes from heaven, either through Scripture or the Holy Spirit, and this time it came through the Holy Spirit, talking through Jesus, it said, no, don't listen to that. Just believe, and she will be healed. And so we looked at that. We looked at Jairus' potentially double-mindedness. This woman, she's definitely not double-minded, is she? She knows what she wants. She knows what she's doing. She knows what she's going to get. Okay, whereas Jairus is like, whoa. But Jesus says, whoa, hang on a minute, Jairus. Don't listen to them. Listen to God's wisdom. Just believe and she will be healed. Okay? And then we studied the fact that wouldn't we love to be in Jairus' shoes where we can just go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, please come to my house and heal my wife, heal my child. Or Jesus, please just put your hand on my head right now and I'll be healed. We mourn that, don't we? We mourn the more. And Jesus says, that's one of the reasons when you mourn that I'm gone, you'll fast. Okay? Right. Now, I ended last time by asking you, where do you think the lady who's suffering from bleeding, where did she get her heavenly wisdom from? Was it from the Holy Spirit or was it from Scripture? Mm -hmm. Both? Now, you can't have that answer. Well, I mean, it, it is, isn't it? The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. The Holy Spirit leads us to the Bible. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. Okay? But pick one. Holy Spirit. Hands up, Holy Spirit. Whoop. Okay? Hands up, Scripture or Bible. Ooh, bold people. Okay. What is the last book of the Old Testament? Anyone? Hmm? Malachi, yes. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Turn to Malachi, because I think this lady got her godly wisdom from Scripture, and it's actually the last book of the Old Testament. Okay? And it's the last chapter of the Old Testament. And it's the book of Malachi. Okay? Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, and it begins like this. Have you found it? Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. Bear with us, it's, it's quite difficult to read. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land 
with total destruction. That's the last words of the Old Testament. Now, who was verses 5 and 6 actually talking about when it says, I will send the prophet Elijah and he will turn hearts towards each other? Who is, who is that prophetic word about? John the Baptist. Yes, and even Jesus said of John the Baptist, he is the Elijah that was to come. Okay? So these last words in Malachi are talking about two people. One, John the Baptist. I'm going to send one, the spirit of Elijah, to come and declare this new kind of time, this new message. Okay, and it's also talking about the Messiah. This is a passage that people say is a prophetic passage talking about the coming of the Messiah or the son of righteousness. Is it up there? Next, is it that one? No, next slide. There we go. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Now that's a prophetic word about the Messiah. He will come with healing. Healing will be one of the marks of the Messiah's ministry when he comes. Okay? So if the woman believed Jesus to be the Messiah she would have expected to receive her healing from him. Okay? But why was she so specific and confident that it would happen if she only touched his cloak or his garment? Why was she so specific about that? Because Jairus wanted Jesus to come with him, which is understandable, wasn't it? And lay your hand on my daughter and she will get well. That's what most people want, isn't it? Jesus, please Come with me and do something. Touch them. Where did she get her idea from that she just needed to touch his cloak, the edge of his, the edge of his garment, and she would be healed? Which is really bold, isn't it? Healing in his wings? Okay. All right. Healing in his... Well, the NIV here says healing in its rays. Okay. Now, unfortunately, the NIV here has done you a little bit of a disservice. Apart from the Good News translation, that's the only translation that used the words raise. All right? And do you know why they've done that? It's because they've chosen to help you out as a reader not to go for the more accurate translation of the Hebrew word. They've decided to match it with the word son. Because it would sound weird, wouldn't it, if it was sun and wings? But you can understand why it's sun and rays, can't you? Rays emanating from the sun. So the NIV and the Good News have decided we won't use the original Greek meaning, or sorry, Hebrew meaning. What we'll use is something that makes sense. Sun and rays, okay? But in all the other 30 translations that I've looked at, they translate it, as wings, which you've been already been saying, haven't you? You know it as wings, all right? The Hebrew word translated here is kanap, okay? Which is translated as wings, and we'll find out some other words in a minute. So is this prophecy depicting the Messiah as having wings like a bird? When the Son of Righteousness rises with healing in his wings as a bird? No? Or some other kind of wings? What kind of wings would Jesus have? 
tassels. Ooh. Well, it makes more sense if we look at the next slide. Okay, the Hebrew word kanap also can be translated as wing, extremity, edge, border, corner of or corner of garment. So we could translate Malachi 4.2 as the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his edges or corners of his garment. Okay? Can you remember what David did? Do you remember David in the Old Testament who became king? Can you remember what David did? David was hiding in a cave. And it turned out that King Saul, who was looking for David, who wanted to kill David, yeah? Mm-hmm. And King Saul needed to go to the loo, okay? The, transla- the correct translation is he needs to cover his feet. Basically, pull his, pull his clothes down, cover his feet, and go to the loo. And this is what happened. Next slide. The men said... This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will hand or give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner or the canap, okay, of Saul's robe. All right. And then when Saul went out, David came out, didn't he? Holding it as proof. King Saul, I could have killed you. God gave me into your hands, but I would not touch the Lord's anointed. Okay? So he cut off the corner or the canap of Saul's robe. And for those who know the Old Testament quite well, what would have probably been on the corner of Saul's robe? A tassel. Okay? A tassel. Do you know what a, a tassel is, Hayden? Kind of a, a dangly, kind of like threaded kind of thing. As, haven't you know, mum's never had a kind of a shawl? Oh, look, there's tassels. Look, Val's got some tassels there. Anyone for a bonus point? Oh, look, I've got, I've got my chocolates in my bag. Anyone for a bonus point? Tell me what colour. Blue, yes. Well done, Jude. How did you know that, Jude? How did you know it would be Blue. The Bible says it's blue, does it? Oh. Okay. Yes, it would have been a tassel on the corner, on the canap of Saul's robe, a blue tassel. Okay. Why would there have been a tassel? Why would there have been a blue tassel on Saul's robe? A bounty. Why were there tassels on robes? That would have been a long tassel, wouldn't it, to pull them out of the yeah, rope? Oh. <laughs> Prayer beads? No. Blue the colour. I don't know why God chose blue. Okay, Wendy, you can have it because you were so desperate for the uh, the bounty. (laughs) All right, okay. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 15. We'll find out why. All right. Why would Saul have a blue tassel? 
on the corner of his garment. Numbers 15, verse 32. It's on the screen, but also turn your Bibles there as well. It's a good job we missed out the first part of the message because time's getting on. It says, while the Israelites were in the wilderness, a man was found gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly, and they kept him in custody because it was not clear what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must die. The whole assembly must stone him outside the camp. The man seems to have broken the no work rule of the Sabbath, which God said should result in death, which is serious, isn't it? Very serious. And if he was gathering wood for a fire, he was gathering wood, we don't know what for, but if he was gathering wood for a fire that he'd already lit in his home on a Sabbath, that was also a no-no. There was a rule about not having a fire in your home on the Sabbath. Okay? And, and a seemingly minor infraction to us, isn't it? He's gathering wood. They take him into custody because they know God says he must die, but surely not. This is the first time this has ever happened. Surely not for something like this. So they keep him in custody wondering, really? Should we ask God? And God said, the man must die. God's response was clear. If God reacts like that to a seemingly minor infraction to his rules, how do you think people who reject Jesus are going to fare when they think they're going to turn up on judgment before God and say, I'm a good person? If God takes that so seriously that he says the man must die for something we seem so minor, how are people going to fare without Jesus Christ? Aren't you grateful for the blood of Jesus? He gave his life so that you could stand before God totally forgiven because legally someone else took the punishment for your sin. What gathering wood and many more serious sins than that. God loves you. Jesus came to die for you. There's only two choices in this world. We either die in Christ and face God's judgment as a sinner saved by him, or we die in our sins and face God's judgment and his justice must be done. Okay. Sad, isn't it? But that's the way it is. But thanks be to God for his greatest ever gift, Jesus Christ, for us. Okay. So, God said he must die. Verse 36. So the assembly took him outside the camp and stoned him to death, as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. Okay? Carry on. Oh, no, don't carry on. All right. Okay. Throughout generations of Israelites, these tassels or tizits, am I pronouncing it right, John? Tzitzis. Tzitzis, yeah. These tassels, tzitzis, 
on the corner of their garments would, be, would have been worn, including King Saul, which David cut off, and then centuries later, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what had Malachi prophesied about the Messiah? There we go, next slide. Yeah. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, or healing in the edges or the corners of his garments. Okay? Up until that time, up until the Messiah, what were the tassels for? To remind them to obey God's laws and the serious consequences of breaking even one minor thing. Okay? And yet, here is the Messiah, the Son of Righteousness, who came to be the sacrifice for our disobedience, our breaking of God's law. He came to take the deathly consequences of our sins. And what did his tassels represent? Healing, forgiveness, mercy the love of God. There's two scriptures on the screen. John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Those tassels before Jesus represented the law and the consequences when Jesus came to pay for that law and the, your consequences, his tassels represented grace and truth to you. All right, we're nearly there. Okay. What's this got to do with fasting? I hear you ask. All right. And what did the woman believe with the issue of bleeding? What did she believe? If I just touch the edge of his cloak, if I just touch these tassels, I will be healed. He's the Messiah, the son of righteousness with healing in the corners of his garment, in his wings. And how did this heavenly wisdom reach her? I think through scripture. Was she double-minded about it? No. Did she receive what she believed? What did Jesus say to her? Next slide. Middle bit there, verse 21. Oh, sorry, G22. Uh, Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed in that very moment, which is a wonderful testimony and encouragement to us. But what does it have to do with our study on fasting? Well, let's reread what God said in Numbers concerning the point of having tassels. Okay, next slide. Numbers 15.39 says, You will have these tassels to look at, so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Lusts of the flesh and the eyes. Where have we heard that before? It's exactly... What we studied in the first session, Adam and Eve struggled 
with the exact same weakness, they saw that the food was good to eat and it looked really good. The lust of their flesh and the lust of their eyes. It's also what we read in 1 John. Is it on the next slide? Yeah, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. As New Testament believers, Jesus has not commanded us to wear tassels on the corner of our garments, has he? Instead of this better covenant, he has written his law on our born-again hearts. That's one amazing difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Believers have the law of God, this wonderful law written on the inside. And he gives his wisdom generously to all through his word and his spirit living in us. And because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity and the empowerment to yield to this amazing law of the Holy Spirit working in us that we may obey and that not prostitute ourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and your own eyes. As Christians, we have this amazing privilege and opportunity of having God's law not on tassels on the corner of our garments, but on the inside. And we have the Holy Spirit who wrote this law, who is the law, helping us, empowering us to obey and not prostitute ourselves by chasing after the lusts of our flesh, the lusts of our eyes. Okay? And to help us remember this, remember the tassels to remind us. Okay? To help us to remember this, to help us to be aware of this amazing thing that's going on on the inside and the outside of us, to help us yield to this, Do you need help? Do you need help to yield to the Holy Spirit? Yeah? Do you need help not to be double-minded? Okay? And just trust and believe. Okay? To help us yield to this, persevere in this, mature in this, instead of blue tassels to wear, what three disciplines has Jesus bestowed upon us? Upon the Christian. What three disciplines has Jesus bestowed upon a Christian instead of the tassels to remind us on the outside? Yeah, prayer, fasting, and giving. Okay, these three wonderful things Jesus has given his disciples to partake in that he says, your father who sees in secret what you're doing in secret will reward you. Instead of a blue yarn, prayer, giving and fasting is a threefold cord that is not easily broken. There's another why. Here is another why of why we should fast as well as prayer and giving. And that is what we've learned today. Like the tassels were, God gave them the tassels to remind them to observe his commandments so they will see them and remember, okay? Observe obedience. Jesus has given his church three disciplines that he's very specific about that if you do these things, even if no one else sees you, your father will see you and reward you. And these three things were prayer, giving, and fasting. 
And these three things, when we do these three things, particularly we're talking about fasting. Fasting helps us fight the flesh. Fasting helps us reap the reward. It helps us to mourn the more. It helps us also to observe obedience. Now, as Christians, how often should we pray? Constantly. How often should we be giving? All the time. How often do you fast? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, challenge, it's really challenging, isn't it? And we don't like the last one, do we? We, we, we actually, it makes us wince with the second one, doesn't it? Giving. Okay. Challenging, isn't it? But fasting is, it makes us cringe, but actually fasting is beautiful when done properly for the right reasons in the right ways. And we'll learn about the hows and the whens, although that may be a clue about the whens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes as Christians, we don't like to uh, approach the subject of how you discipline people in the Old Testament. And it's, it's sometimes it's, a, um, it's an accusation made against us as Christians that you, know, you are the God of war and the God of violence and cruel when we look at the Old Testament. And Father, it does seem that way. Even the Israelites, when they caught the first kind of infraction of the law after you gave the law, it was someone just collecting wood. And they thought, well, surely not really we're going to have to kill this person. But sadly, Father, that is how awful, how passionate you are against any disobedience, any willful, lustful, evil desires that we give into that are the opposite of what you've said. That's how passionate you are about sin. Father, help us not to separate the Old Testament from the New Testament thinking they're two separate gods. Father, help us to draw near to you through the wonderful blood and name of Jesus as your children to understand and to know you as who you really are. And Abba, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that he is the Messiah. He came just as John the Baptist said, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, thank you that my sin has been taken away by Jesus and that I no longer need to fear you as my punisher, but I can revere you as my father.
Lord, we pray for all those people that really struggle and accuse you of being a violent, merciless, mean God. Abba, we pray that through your wonderful means, they would realize the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you so loved the world that you gave your only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For you sent your son into the world not to condemn the world but to save us. And Father, thank you that we don't need blue tassels on the outside because we have our born again new hearts indwelt by the Holy Spirit on the inside and that Jesus has given us amazing teaching amazing amazing instruction in order to help us to remember to understand to yield and surrender to this new life of the Spirit on the inside help us Lord to understand your calling to prayer your calling to giving and your calling to fasting. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might follow Jesus fully by your Spirit. Amen.